All right. Good morning. Welcome to 40 Years to Freedom podcast with Jen and Anna V. How you doing this morning? Morning, Jen. Thanks for making coffee. Made coffee this morning. We're up nice and early because you leave today. We wanted to make sure we finish this little story of mine before. It's a little story. The house that built me. The house that built me. Um, And we're going to jump right in and continue on. So our last episode, we talked a lot about my childhood and um, my youth, I guess you would say, and the trials and all the fun stuff and craziness and madness that I had to endure when I was a teenager. But we left off with me moving to this little town called Bend, Oregon. Mm Mm-hmm. Changed my life. I told you that before. Changed my life for sure. So um, this half of the podcast is going to really lead us up to why I wanted to do this podcast in the long run. So fast forward, moved to Bend, Oregon, got a job, started working, still lived with my dad who was sober, which is awesome. Um, He still is sober to this very day. We all are, which is amazing. Yes. And... um, I, it was my 22nd birthday. So this is a fun story. It was my 22nd birthday and we decided to go camping for my birthday. And we rented like three camp spots all together for all of our friends um, that we had in Oregon. And my dad's girlfriend, and this is going to get crazy when people are like, my dad's girlfriend's best friend's sister's daughter, right? Like you're from the South all of a sudden. 100%. (laughs) So my dad's girlfriend invited her friend. Mm -hmm. She brought her daughter. Mm -hmm. Her daughter brought her friend Mm -hmm. who brought her boyfriend. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Are you following me? Gotcha. And it was this guy named David. Now, um, we are on the lake, on the boat. Everybody's having fun. Um, The end of the night, we're sitting by the campfire and we're all drinking and when you live in little towns and you say you're from L.A., people usually don't believe you. Because I don't know what it is, but people want to say that they're from L.A. if they're not from L.A. Like it's a cool place to be from. Yeah, you're not going to hear that where I'll come from. <laughs> yeah. Well, you hear it a lot on the West Coast. So I say I'm from L.A. And this guy David's like, oh, yeah, really? I'm from L.A. too. What part? And that's where you usually leave mm-hmm. it off with the conversation because they wouldn't know what part. They're like, L.A., L.A. Yeah. There really isn't an L.A., L.A. So it's a big county with lots of little cities in it. So I say I'm from San Fernando. And he's like, shut up. I'm from San Fernando. No way. And we hit it off. And we were just going back and forth about um, high school. He went to a rival, a rival high school that... I um, of one that I went to, we played against each other, football games, baseball games, all of this. He grew up 15 minutes away from where I grew up. We're the same age. We get deeper into the conversation. Oh, no. We knew the same people, which is crazy. That is crazy. Right? So he wasn't ever at your house. He was never at my house. Um, we probably crossed paths at a party at some point in high school. And we just connected on a whole nother level. We fast forward, fast forward through the weekend. At the end of the weekend, I just had a great connection with this guy. And mind you, he came with a girlfriend, right? Yeah. And I was very confident. And I walked up to him and handed him my phone number right in front of his girlfriend. No way. (laughs) And I said, call me sometime. 
because I didn't know anybody really. I, I had a handful of friends, but I definitely didn't know anybody from where I grew up, which right. I thought was cool. And he was like, I will. And I was like, okay. And then the girlfriend snatched out his hand. She's like, yeah, we'll call you. And I was like, okay, <laughs> call me. <laughs> now, a couple weeks go by and I worked for a grocery store. And when I met David, he was working for a beer company that stocked the grocery stores. No way. And I am working and he walks up to me and he's like, hey, do you remember me? I'm like, oh yeah, totally. What's up? How's it going? And he's like, yeah, I really would love to take you out sometime. No way. And I was like, you have a girlfriend. And he pulled out his phone right then and there. And it's 630 in the morning. And he called and told her it wasn't working anymore. You're kidding. I swear to God. And that was the end of him and her. And he wasn't fully vested in her. Um, I just think that he needed companionship, just like we all need companionship. And we went on a date that night. Oh, my God. Now, this is 2000, August of 2000. And as of that night, we started dating. Literally, we started dating. And you know when you have that feeling with someone that you know that they're the one? He yeah. was he was my one. And yeah. it was crazy because I was 22 and I'm like just starting to live this new life. Yeah, get your feet grounded. And, and I met David. And our our first date, he takes me to his grandma's house, little Italian grandma. He's like, I want you to meet my grandma. And I was like, uh, it's kind of soon. He's like, no, 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 you're going to love her. We go there. She's cooking for us. She's We're having great conversation. Like everything was great. Everything fell into place perfectly. Within a month, we had our own townhouse. We moved in with each other. Um, a year later, we were engaged. And we just had a blast. Now, when I first met David, um, he was really shy because we were on the lake, right? Yeah. Because he had all these bruises on his belly. And he wouldn't really explain that when I first met him. But come to find out, um, he had lupus. Mm. So he had lupus and he had it pretty bad. And he had a really rare blood clotting disease. Now, as soon as we started dating, I realized how bad it really was. Mm -hmm. Now, David, when we were just a couple months into our relationship, had to go do chemo every three months. So I would sit there with him and we would play cards while he did this chemo treatment to try and cure his blood levels or whatever their science was behind it. And I realized that this was going to be part of my life. Like this is going to be part of my life. There was doctor's appointments on a regular basis. There was... Um, tests blood work on a regular basis. He had a ton of prescriptions that he had to do. Now those bruises on his belly were because of a blood thinner that he had to give himself in an injection every single day. Mm. So that was now the new me, right? I had a boyfriend at that time who was sick, but you never would have known he was sick. Like he was such a hard worker. He got up every morning at two o'clock in the morning and went to work. Um, He would work 12, 14 hour days, come home. We would party we would drink we would do like there was no limits to anything yet right and time goes on a year later and how did that affect your relationship with your family it didn't it really didn't like Like, everybody just accepted him and then he his family all accepted me for who I was and we all just loved each other Mm. now mind you David was a difficult person like he was he was angry at the world and he had every reason to be angry at the world because he was sick at such a young age But he was a hard one to love for sure. So a year later, we get engaged. 
A year after that, we have this big, beautiful wedding in Sisters, Oregon, and we just lived our best lives. We bought our house. I bought a house. Well, we bought a house. Um, we started planning on trying to have a family, and he was progressively getting worse with his sickness. Now, one day he decided to stop giving himself those shots in his belly, which was he had to do every single day because he was going into bruises and it just hurt him too bad. Yeah. Now, this is probably about four years into our um, relationship and immediately his kidneys clotted up. And that was the beginning of the end, I, I should say. So he didn't have any kidney function. Um, we had tons of doctor's appointments along the way. All of these professionals telling us what we should be doing with our with his life, where we should where we're gonna head, what was the next step, all of this stuff. And we just adapted to it. I mean, it was that was our life. What were we gonna do? Again, he still went to work every day, two o'clock in the morning. Wow. He worked his butt off. Um, again, you would never have known he was sick. Now it comes the time for us to have babies. We had babies, twin boys, which was amazing. Uh, we were definitely blessed with that. And by the time they were two years old, they said that, that David's kidney function was going to be so bad that he was going to have to go on dialysis. So they got him all prepped for hemodialysis, which is through your blood. And um, we decided that we were going to move closer to my mom and family that could take a little bit better care of us mm. with his illness. And we moved to Truckee, California, which is about an hour away from here in mm. Reno. We moved there. Um, everything's going pretty good. He has a whole new set of doctors. Boys are growing way too fast. And that's when I ended up going to beauty school. So um, I needed to do something different. I needed to figure out where I wanted to be in life um, for my family. Right. That's a lot going on right there. Yeah, it is a lot. But I feel like everybody is built for what is given to them. And I definitely was built for this. It was madness all the time. Madness. Doctor's appointments. Hospital visits. Um, Twins. Twin little toddlers. Beauty school. Family. um, Home life. Family. All of it. So we eventually moved from Truckee to Sparks, which is about 10 minutes. I still am in the same house. It's about 10 minutes away from my office here in um, at the Fowl House. I mean, at the Fowl Life. We're going to have to edit that. <laughs> here at the Fowl Life. And he progressively got worse and worse and worse to the point where they put him on a kidney transplant list. Now you think that this is going to be better, right? Because mm-hmm. he's in his 30s. He seems to have everything put together. He's a healthy guy. He's going uh, to work still every single day. Um, by now, I'm working at the beauty school. And um, they call us several times. So I don't know if you know about transplants, but they put you on a list. Right. And depending on where you are in your health stages is how long it's going to take you. Mm-hmm. Now, it was about a year and a half in when we got the first call. Be ready. This could be your kidney. Mm-hmm. Now, this didn't happen in Reno. We had to go all the way to Sacramento for this to happen. So, mm-hmm. again, that's like a two-hour drive. Mm-hmm. So, we were ready. Bags packed. My mom was there to watch the boys. It didn't happen. We got another call like six months later. This could be yours. Get ready. A couple hours go by wasn't his kidney 
Now, um, finally, we get a call, and the boys were six. They were six years old, and it was his kidney. My mom came down. We packed a bag really quick. We jetted to Sacramento at UC Davis, and um, within 12 hours, he was in surgery and got a new kidney. And you think, this is, uh, this is it, right? Yeah, this is the, to Everything's going to be back to normal now. Everything's going to be great. Whatever normal is for you. Whatever normal <laughs> is for me, which most definitely is not normal. So he gets his new kidney. He has this new outlook on life. Like everything's going to be amazing. Everything's going to be great. Doctor's appointments are all going great. Everything's progressing the way that they want it to go. And then all of a sudden he starts... We didn't really know that it was seizures yet, but I came home from work one day and he said that he passed out in the kitchen and I was like, what? He passed out in the kitchen. Now from all of the medication that he was on, um, his bones were so fragile that he broke a vertebrae in his back and we didn't even know it. We didn't even know it. So he ended up going, had a broken back. They fused it back together again, progressively getting worse, declining, declining, Doctors start saying that the kidney's not taking. Um, they got to figure out different options for him. Um, they prep him again for hemodialysis because at this point the kidney did not work anymore. Um, and that was our new life. So he starts hemodialysis. He can't work anymore. He's staying home. He has to go to hemodialysis three, four times a week. Um, and this is taking. So frustrating for yeah, him. And for all of us. Yeah. For all of us. Now he's on massive amounts of prescriptions and he's getting worse. The dialysis is taking a huge toll on his body. When I first met my husband, he was a bigger guy. At this point, he probably weighed 150 pounds. You had to take, like, just to take that um, independence away from him, considering that he worked and kept somewhere of a regular schedule and a regular yeah. day, then all of a sudden it's just gone. Gone. Completely gone. So he stayed home and I kept going to work. Now we find out that these seizures that are happening because he kept kind of passing out um, were actual seizures. So we're laying in bed one day and it's four o'clock in the morning and he just starts shaking. I didn't know what to do. Like this is when we realized they were seizures he was having. Um, I called 911, they come, they take him away. He's in the hospital for a few days. Everything comes, he comes back home. We continue on. Uh, Six months later, it happened again. Three months later after that, it happened again. Mm -hmm. And it was progressively again getting worse. He was getting worse. 150 pounds, 140 pounds, 130 pounds. Now um, it's to the point where his blood clotting disease kicked in. And when they prepped him for, for hemodialysis, it wouldn't, it kept clotting. So they couldn't do that anymore. So they decide to go another route, which is called peritoneal dialysis. So they stick this tube and this filter into his stomach and he has to be attached to it for 12 hours a day and it filters all this fluid in and then it takes all the fluid out Hmm. and that's cleaning his kidneys. So he starts that round and we're in it for a couple months. Seizures are happening again. 911's getting called. Hospital stays. This is my this is the new normal for me on a regular basis. And where are the boys? At this the boys point? are home. They're um, they're home. They are 7, 8. This is they were 9 years old when it all started to get really bad. And they they 
they didn't know anything different. They didn't realize that everybody else's life is different than hospital visits mm-hmm. and doctor's visits and ambulances or anything like that. We just tried to make the best out of everything. Mind you, at the same time, so I have children that I have to take care of, a sick husband I have to take care of. I'm working full time because I, that's the only way I could keep my head straight. Right. So I had to go to work every every single day. Yeah. I had to go to work um, and I would never let that affect my job. So nobody really knew except for my closest friends there and the owners of where I worked knew what was going on in my life. Now this became so bad to the point where 911 was starting to get called every, I would say every four weeks, taking him away, another week hospital stay, come back. Um, At this point, David is skin and bones, skin and bones. The peritoneal dialysis isn't working. It's taking a huge toll on his body. Um, They put a stint in his chest and started going straight to his heart with that. Now that is a huge, um, you have to be really careful with that because since it's an opened wound that goes straight to the heart, there's a huge chance for um, infection. So then there's all of that on top of it. Now he's doing this dialysis still again, three times a week. We have nurses coming to the house on a regular basis. And um, he had a seizure at the end. By this time I had gone to LA and moved my best friend up because I needed help, regular basis help at my house. Our finances were a mess. I mean, I never had any money for anything. So I moved my best friend into our house She's helping out with the boys. She's helping out with rent, all of that stuff. Um, I come home from work what one day. What a best friend. She's, yeah, she's truly, she's been my best friend since I was nine. We talked about her in the right. last podcast. Yeah. She's been there for me just as much as I've been there for her. So she's had her share as well. One day I hope to have her on here. But I moved my best friend in. I come home from work. Now I had to work a night shift that day. So it's 1030. I'm sitting on the couch. He's sitting on the couch watching TV. And I could just feel him looking at me. He kept like turning his head to the right. I was sitting to the right of him on the couch, turning and staring at me. And at this point, it wasn't that I didn't love my husband, but I was angry. He was angry all the time. Mm -hmm. It was hard to be around each other because he was always in a bad mood. And Mm -hmm. I'm complete opposite. I'm always in a good mood. So I could feel him staring at me and I'm like ready to fight, like ready to argue with him. Like, what is your problem? What are you doing? And he just keeps looking at me and I'm like, why are you staring at me? What's going on? He's not answering me. And I feel him again, turn his head and stare at me. Goes on for a couple minutes and I realize he was having a seizure. Oh. He was having a seizure and I jump up off the couch and I call, I go into my best friend's room. Um, and she's just like, we got to call 911. We call 911. It took him a little bit to get there. Now his seizures were progressed. That seizure was getting progressively worse. And he was having a seizure for 28 minutes. Oh, we timed wow. it before we had, um, 911 actually took him away. So they take him away. Um, Amber takes care of the kids and I help in my car and I drive down to the emergency room. Like I had done. 20 times before I walk up to the emergency room counter, just like I had done 20 times before. So my husband was just brought here by ambulance. She said, what's your name? I tell her my name. I tell her his name. She's like, Oh, hold on really quick. She's like, I have to call someone. And she calls this woman and this woman comes out and introduces me as, um, human resources. Oh gosh. And I was like, why, what is this about? 
you know? Yeah. And she was just like, I just want to have a conversation with her. I'm a, with you. I'm a social worker and um, I'm going to take you back to the back, but the situation is not good. And I'm like, what? Like the, we've always bounced back from this. Right. Never thought about anything bad or yeah. terrible. So she takes me back, walks me in the room. There's doctors all over them. The doctor shuffles me out of the room right away and says, I'm going to put you in this family waiting lounge and we will come and get you. Okay. Now it's at this point, two o'clock in the morning, I'm sitting in this room by myself. I laid down on the couch. I fell asleep. I woke up like two hours later, walked back to his room. Same situation. Tubes everywhere coming out of him. Um, doctors everywhere. They shuffled me back into that room. Okay. I sat there for a little bit, fell asleep again, woke up at 5 a.m. and found a nurse. And she's like, we've moved him in intense to intensive care. I'm like, okay. Um, she's like, we'll take you up there. I go up to his room. Everything seems to be normal. Uh, well, I shouldn't say normal. Normal in my eyes. Mm -hmm. He's in intensive care now. They're all watching him. They're like, he's going to be asleep for a while. You should go home and get some rest. Okay, no problem. Call my boss. Be like, hey, not coming to work today. Um, David was taken by ambulance. He's in intensive care. They're like, they're, they were the best. Don't even worry about it. We got everything covered. I go back to the hospital a little bit later that day. And um, every nurse was so gracious like and so nice and everything's gonna be fine everything's gonna be great but he had a um he was in a medically induced coma because they had the breathing machine the ventilator down his throat and um i had never seen him at that point that bad and i was worried i definitely was worried but again, this was my normal. Mm -hmm. So every day I would get up in the morning, get ready for work, go to the hospital, see him before I went to work, go on my lunch, see him on my lunch, go see him before I went home. This went on for two weeks while he was in this medically, medically induced coma. Every doctor gave me that he's going to be fine. His blood works good. We're giving him dialysis. You know, we're just making sure that everything's going good. Okay, great. No problem. He wakes up and I get the phone call. I'm at work. He wakes up and they're like, he's up. We want you to come see him, leave work, go to the hospital. And he was so slow, like his voice, like that seizure that he had had, had really affected his body. Okay. And he eventually started walking again and the nurses yeah. were like m moving in the direction of sending him home. Now to me, in my eyes, he, he wasn't a vegetable, but he definitely was damaged. He definitely was going to need full-time care. He definitely was going to need a ton of help. Mm -hmm. And I look at the nurse and I'm like, you are not sending me home with him. Like, I don't know what to do with my husband in this state. And she's like, oh, no, he's going to be fine. We're going to put a permanent ventilator. A red, uh, uh, we're going to put a permanent um, hole for a ventilator in him, in his chest. And I'm like, Are you, and you're going to send me home. She's like, in case this happens again, then you can just hook up a machine. And I'm blown away at this point. Blown away. You're supposed to do this at home. I'm supposed to do this at home. Also work. Also take care of children. And... He's awake. 
a lot. I mean, everything's going good. And I'm at work one day now. It is um, my, it's, it's Saturday and I'm working at, at work and it's my son's, both of my son's birthday. It's not their birthday, but their birthday party. So kids are getting dropped off at my work because we were going to, we had this whole day night plan. There were, there's a big slumber party at my house. I get a call just as kids are starting to show up and David had gone, um, into cardiac arrest. So they incubated him again. And I was like, okay, do I need to be there? She's like, I'll call you if there's anything, because now I have six little kids at my work for a birthday party tried my hardest to keep it together for the night we go to the movies we go bowling I bring them all back to my house I tell my girlfriend that's living with me I'm like hey um I'm gonna go to the hospital you got the kids everything was good that's when doctors came in and said that we wanted to have a conversation with you and nurse said the doctor wants to have a conversation with you now mind you while this is all happening I kept asking the doctor should I be calling people should I be calling his family should I be calling his friends? Yeah. And no, no, no. Everything's going to be good. Okay. Fine. The doctor says to me, you should call everybody you could possibly can. And I was like, okay. Um, I start calling people and I didn't really know what to say. Like doctor, all I could say was the doctors said I should get a hold of everybody that loves his family or who loves David. And if you want to see him, I suggest you try and come and see him. All of this. I go at that point to my work and saying, I can't come back. Like I just need a moment because I'm still working, trying to keep my head focused and straight. And they're like, no, no problem. Anything you need. I go to the hospital one day. I'm there all day long. I go to the hospital the next day and I'm sitting there and he's in this again, coma with the ventilator in. And I just looked at him and I didn't notice him anymore. Like literally skin and bones, tubes coming out of everywhere. And it's almost in my head. And you hate to say something like this, but in my head, I was just like, just let go. Yeah. Like, just let go. This is not a life for anybody. I go make myself a cup of coffee. I come back. We're sitting there. He goes in to cardiac arrest again while I'm there. They pull me out of the ho- the room really quick. Everybody's working on them. Um, the doctor comes out. She's like, you need to call somebody to be here with you. I didn't know who to call. It was the middle of the day. Um, and I called my old boss. Like, I called her and she answers the phone and she is such a cheery person. Hi, Jennifer. What are you doing? I'm on my way driving up to Truckee. And I'm like, um, I need you to come and be with me. And she's like, I'll be right there. She was there in five minutes. Oh, my God. Sitting with me in this room in the back. The doctor comes to me and she's just like, um, so he went into cardiac arrest again. We revived him. She's like, I just need to know what is it that do you want us to keep doing this? And I just looked at her and I'm like, I can't do this anymore. She's like, I understand. I see you're here every single day. I've seen you for all these times. And I sat there for about 15 more minutes and he passed away. He passed away. And now this is where it was like a huge weight was released or lifted off of me. But from that moment, I had to go get in my car, drive 30 minutes home and tell my two children that are sitting at home that their dad just died. And they, their, their friend just went home for their birthday. Yep. 
they were all gone by then like it was all gone (laughs) this was on the 16th my son's birthday was on the 18th and I don't remember that drive like I don't remember that drive and I think of all the possibilities of things that could have happened I remember getting in my car starting it and pulling up to my driveway like that's all I remember it's honestly amazing to me that you can remember so much of your past because a lot of times when people go through traumas like that there's just gray areas of your history yeah and you just remember so I remember it detail. like it was yesterday like I I remember it like it was yesterday so I get home and I tell my boys and we have this huge moment. Um, I call my mom. She's at my house within 30 minutes. Um, and I sent one text. I have a group of girlfriends here in Reno that I couldn't be more blessed with. I sent one text to all of them and told them with what had happened. Within an hour, mind you, all of these women have jobs. We're working in the industry in the middle of clients. Within an hour, every single one of them was at my house. And we were sitting out back in front of a fire with food and wine and just talking about all the good things. And it was crazy that this support system that I had was there when I needed them the most for them to be there for me. I felt so suddenly, like so quick, they were all there. But I was fine and it was crazy that I was fine. And that's the one thing I can't, people can't usually wrap their head around it is She's in mourning. She's in depression. She's in all of that. I was fine because this crazy life that I had on a regular basis of calling 911 and ambulances and hospital right. trips and doctor's appointments and medication that I couldn't afford was done. Well, it was almost, I guess, like you could process it through so like so much because he was sick for so long and yeah. you watch this deterioration. Yeah. So it's it, almost like you probably mentally prepared yourself for it. Yeah. Even though you I did not somehow. We're conscious. One of my doing so. really good girlfriends does this energy work. And a couple times in my life, she had done it on me where I didn't really believe it because I was like, this, what is this voodoo stuff? Um, but she like aligns your aura and does all this stuff. Um, make sure that you're straight. The first time she did it, she really kind of had said that she had to like move things around and get me right. She did it for me right after this had all happened. And it was the shortest treatment, I guess you would say, that I had ever had with her. And when we were done, she was like, you are so good and so bright inside. And like everything is going to be okay at this point. And that was the beginning of the next chapter of my life. Mm -hmm. It was three months before I turned 40. All of a sudden, all these things started happening for me. Amazing things. Um, I started going on all these trips that I could never afford before, um, doing all these things with my kids that I could never do before. And we just had a moment to actually be a family and on a whole different level. We were always a family, but just on a different level. But that leads us where we are now with this podcast, because again, I had barely just turned 40 and my life was beginning all over again. And that's where I am now. You know, just trying to live it and do things. And I always say yes to everything. I never say no. And no, you never say no. I never say no. <laughs> but I always want to, because I didn't do anything for so long that I just don't want to miss out for me or my boys. So that's my story, Anna. It's quite crazy that I've been through all of that before 40. Well, 
the craziest part is because I got to know you and your bubbly self. And then you hear the story and there's like, there's just no way that's the same person because you're just so full of joy all the time. <laughs> I appreciate that. But that's this is who I've always been. I don't but know there's how. so many people that would never have overcome that past. Yeah, I just, there are, there are. But the thing is, is there's always a light at the end of the t- tunnel. I feel like everything happens for a reason. Everything I went through with David, everything I went through with all these doctor's appointments, it built me to be such a strong person that I needed to be for my children, for myself, for my family, all of it. And I have to continue on with life. We have to continue on with life. Life doesn't stop Mm-mm. because your partner is gone. Right. It doesn't stop. It doesn't stop. Now I'm a mom and a dad. Now it's like I couldn't if I just curled up and stayed in bed, like where would my kids be? Mm-hmm. I really have to pay attention to things like that. I have to be there for everyone. And I don't want to be that sad person. I don't want to be that person who sucks it up just to, you know, take one for the team or anything like that. Like I want to be the same person that I've always been. And that is truly a happy bubbly person like well you know my grandmother has a very similar personality and she was married to my grandpa for i don't know 60 years and he passed away and she had such a similar attitude about when he was gone because he was the center of attention all the time and everything was about him and he was the fun guy and it was almost like she was always in his shadows yeah and then he passed and everybody's like Granny doesn't know life without pops. So we we just were all worried that she was going to fall apart. And she's done the exact same thing. She travels. I mean, she's in her 80s. She's gone hunting with me. She's happy as can be. She's got her little church group and yeah. all this stuff. And, and so one day I just asked her, I'm like, how did you find all the strength? And she said, because it was finally my turn to live. Yeah. And that's, you know, there was just so much yeah. truth in that. I was like, you just have to own your own life. And I admire you for the things that you've overcome and, and how you've chose to deal with it, how you chose to find the positives. And you just keep building better, a better life for yourself. Yeah. It's the only thing I can do. Keep moving forward. Oh, well, that's so inspiring, Jen. Oh, thank you. And I hope, I hope it touches some people who are listening to our podcast in a, in a way that even though there's sadness, there's always happiness somewhere. You just have to find it. You have to find what makes you happy. Um, Overcome the bad things the best way you possibly can, however that is that you can deal with it. But you have to keep moving forward. Yeah. You have to see the best of any situation. You have to do things positively for yourself, for your family, because life goes on. Like life goes on. It, it definitely does. All right. Well, that was kind of sad, but at the <laughs> same time, I really wanted you guys to listen uh, to my story over the last couple of days and um, get to know who I am, why I wanted to do this podcast. There's lots of adventures that have happened since then. Um, it's been four years in May that David's been gone. I've done amazing things. I'm going to tell you guys these stories. Anna's going to join me on tons of adventures along the way. And we just hope you guys can enjoy it. And 
pull away something positive from each one of our conversations. Yeah, looking forward to it, Jen. I love you, girl. So thank you. Thank you for being here and thank you for listening to 40 Years of Freedom podcast. We'll be back soon. Oh, back.